Hey, everyone, and welcome to Be the Leader You Deserve podcast, where our mission is to inspire you to ask yourself, are you the leader you deserve? Hi, I'm Laura Donnelly. And I'm Jill Handley. And this is season two, episode 16, The It Factor, tips for recruiting and retaining high quality staff. If you are familiar with John Hattie's work, then you know that collective teacher efficacy is has the highest effect size, 1.57, of all factors in positively impacting student achievement. Last week, we discussed the difference between establishing high standards and expecting perfectionism. As a leader, we know that establishing high standards begins in the interview with potential candidates. Today, we are so excited to have Molly Ricketts, president and founder of Incipio Workforce Solutions. Molly began her career as a staff recruiter for Sears, where she recruited for entry-level and management positions at their National Service Center and achieved yearly staffing rates of 110 to 120% of goals. She moved on from there to Citigroup, where she led a staffing team for many of their startups in Ohio and other locations. Molly went on to establish her own human resource consulting firm. She sold that firm in 2010, and not long after, Molly began her business as a contract recruiter, and over the course of several years, worked with Accent, Luckett and Farley Architects and Engineers, and GE Intelligent Platforms, Yo. In 2011, she became Vice President of Managed Services for Quantech, where she was responsible for talent management, strategic planning, and more. In 2013, she became the Director of Professional Recruiting for York Companies in Louisville, running their recruiting division and a team of five recruiters. In 2015, Molly established Incipio Workforce Solutions. That is quite the resume, Molly. We are so glad to have you with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. So our first question for you today, as a female entrepreneur, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, just the courage it took and the challenges you overcame to get where you are today? Wow. So um, the introduction that you guys gave for me was definitely part of what it took to gain the courage to be the entrepreneur that I am today. I learned so much from the leaders and the significant styles that they each had that contributed so much to where I am today. So when I think about the journey that I've been on since I started, and I officially launched Incipio five years ago. So one of the greatest things that I pride myself on is wanting to be able to say that I'm doing it right with integrity and high character. Not that other organizations don't do it that way, but I also want to be able to to stop and listen to not just the business leader, but also the candidates. And I felt like I could only do that if it were a different situation like Incipio, being my own company. Now, that's very easy to say in the excitement of, you know, wanting to do the right thing, but then you also have to make a living. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, um, the bank doesn't take a payment for your mortgage for your passion to help people find their dream job. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely taken a lot of understanding in how to balance those two things, especially as a female. Um, there were it was at least two and a half years before I was considered employed once I started in CPO. 
Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And I know that it's that way for males too that have first started out, but I do believe that it's come a long way since the time in which, um, you know, 20 years ago when it was actually acceptable that a woman could get a loan without a man's signature, regardless of who that man was. It could have been your 18-year-old son for that matter. But the challenges that it's taken to overcome it depends on the day. And I know that sounds crazy, but you have to have the self-confidence and stamina to um, things as simple as um, thank you for the opportunity to come in today and discuss the opportunities with your recruitment and retention when speaking to a senior leadership team. That doesn't sound bad, right? Right. <laughs> a man would never thank you for an opportunity. Hmm. So, you know, I've never thought I've never thought about that. I'm going to be very mindful of that going forward. But now that I'm reflecting, Molly, I think you're right. I think about the encounters that I've had with women versus men. And I think you're right. That human element is a little bit more there with women. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm not saying that women have to completely remove their feminine things. Right. But when a woman walks into a boardroom, she has two bags. She has her purse and her uh, briefcase or, you know, laptop bag, whatever. You know how many bags a man walks in with? Zero. Zero. So it's just little things like that that never even cross your mind. But a lot of times, especially when you're a woman walking into a boardroom that is filled with men, you have to think about those things, unfortunately. So Molly, do you, um, with that being said, do you adjust um, the way that you would normally react? So in other words, when you're going into, if you know that your audience is a group of a boardroom of men, would you go without a bag? I mean, would you <laughs> not thank them? Like, do you adjust? I, I guess that's that balance of staying true to who you are, but at the same time, understanding business. Would Do you adjust who you are in those situations? Absolutely. But you adjust it across the board. Not just for those situations. You adjust it across the board. Not to change your character, but really to change your behavior. And it's interesting. Thank you for the opportunity. Sound Almost sounds like you don't belong. Right. Um, but I've never considered that before. Yeah, I hadn't either. So it was crazy um, when I, I've tried to surround myself with successful women business owners. And when I, when I heard that the first time, it, you know, it kind of torqued me off. I was like, well, what difference does it make? <laughs> I am excited about the opportunity. But then once you hear, you know, it's just language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Semantics have, are a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, when I think about um, there is on the team of Incipio, there are 21 of us and there's only one male. God love him. When he and I go on a meeting together and the room is filled with men, I'm speaking. Who do you think they're speaking to? Oh, to him. Absolutely. I I'm sure they probably assume that he's the president yep. and CEO as well. Yep. All the time. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's funny, Molly, this is a, a different story, but I remember one time um, 
in the school, I was in the front lobby. And so we had some maintenance men come. Um, and so I was at first, uh, we had some different things going on. And at first I was like, Hey guys, can I help you out? And they were very dismissive. And so like almost rude and condescending. And so I allowed it for about five minutes and they were like, um, so we're, you know, we're here to see your principal. I was like, well, you've been talking to her for the last five minutes. So I, I get that. Like how, how that's almost like you have to check people. Um, and that that's really sad as women that, you know, we've come so far over time to think that we still have so far to go. Yes. Yes. So our next question is, what are the top five tips that you have for recruiting and retaining high quality staff? So I've thought about this question and um, I don't know if I can come up with five, but I know that I can do three. And I know that sounds a little bit crazy just because, well, five should be easy. So from a recruiting perspective, when you post a job or tell people about the opportunity that you have, you need to look for several things. One, of course, is, and I say one, even though it consists of three things, knowledge, skills, and ability. That, that's one category from a recruiting perspective. So that means if you haven't rewritten your job description within the last six to 12 months, you probably want to look at that and make sure that you're trying to attract the right talent. And the second category of that is your culture, environment, and reward structure. And I like to refer to this as bank. So let's say that there is a bank. Um, we'll just go for one that's here local that's across the city, Republic Bank. They have sites across the city of Louisville, right? Mm -hmm. But can you say that each individual bank is the same exact culture as each other, even though the umbrella of the company is the same? Yeah, I would say absolutely right. not. <laughs> so when you're recruiting, especially for a company like that, or any company that has multiple locations, your culture and your site needs to be clearly defined against the others. Not in competition, but for understanding. And then I also highly recommend some sort of an assessment. Um, the DISC, the PI, I'm not saying that those need to be the key indicators. That's definitely 10 to 15% of the weighted decision in your hiring voice, but not more than that. And really what that's for is to remove the veil, so to speak, or to simply take it as a key indicator of how you can help communicate better together. Those are those are three great. That that assessment um, is definitely a piece because we know that sometimes the way people come, well, lots of times in our experience, the interview doesn't tell you everything. That's only such a small portion. You know, we've had several people who have wowed us in our interview and then have gone on to not be such great. Um, and it's not even that they're not great employees. They're just going back to that culture piece. I think that's it for us that we found that that's a huge piece um, because, you know, the approach that we typically take has a lot, to, a lot to do with that culture piece of, you know what they may, we can teach the skill set, but we can't teach that fit in with our culture sort of a piece. And so I'm glad that you to know that you brought that up because we, we really rely heavily upon that in, in our building. And so that's good to hear that's in your top three. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's so important. It absolutely is. 
Um, you know, and, and, and conversely, we've had, you know, employees in the past who were, were great employees. They just weren't a fit for our right. culture. And so, you know, having those conversations to help people understand that it's it's not that you're missing the skill set. It's that you're missing that whole fit into our culture right. piece. Exactly. And if you can't make it work from a uh, cultural perspective, then they won't stay. Right. No, you're exactly right. And if, if they can't fit in, despite our kind of helping support that, then we don't want them to stay. <laughs> um, so, so earlier in the season, um, we shared Brene's, Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead, with our listeners. And we talked about the importance of establishing core values as a leader and as an organization. So when interviewing candidates, what suggestions do you have to help leaders identify if the core values of the candidate align with the core values of the company? The best way that I can describe how to do that is it's definitely a learned skill. So when you're interviewing a candidate and you have outlined your values, you have to be able to give an example of what you've done. And then you also have to be able to ask for an example from them in that same category. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. Yes. Kind of a scenario. Sort yeah. Of base. Yeah. And I think that's a missing component that we currently have just because we're still kind of developing and, and hashing out what our two top core values are here. But I think that would also probably help in that interview process to make sure that they're a Kenwood fit, as we call it. Yeah, that, those core values are, you know, that's that Brene Brown's so amazing. But that's one of the biggest takeaways that we had when we did the book study with her book, um, you know, because we have a mission, we have a vision, we have collective commitments. Uh, but it's it was interesting to think through, even though we have all of those for, for our school, we, we haven't gone through the core value piece. And so that really takes a lot of the subjectivity away from everything and helping people understand is your behavior or our decisions um, aligned with those core values. And I think it's most important to be honest about that, right? If you're having an interview and you're conducting that and, and you let them know that your core values are still looking to become concrete core values and why? why you're struggling with making these four things the core values. Not struggling, really, again, the words, but trying to make sure certain that this is where you all are leading and why, and ask for their input. I think it, it will also be helpful once we have those clearly defined to say these are our core values and um, how do you align with these, essentially, because some people may not, uh, resonate with those and may decide that that this isn't the place for them. Um, but I'm really excited to kind of hash that out and see how that impacts our our future interviews. Same, same. Very excited to take your suggestions to our next set of interviews. <laughs> so Molly, sometimes it feels like no amount of communication with your staff is ever enough, but we know how important communication is. If you could give leaders one tip to prioritize their communication, what would Ask it be? Ask the person how they want to be communicated with. Some people want questions and agenda in advance to be able to prepare. Doesn't matter what type of meeting it is, it feels like to some people it feels like they're on the spot if they didn't have time to prepare. Oh. 
Oh, that's, you know, that's a great suggestion. And that aligns, um, recently I read uh, the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. Um, and so that's, that was a real kind of taken under the guise of the five love languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. And so it was really interesting because that kind of aligns with that because there are things that you hadn't thought about. You know, it kind of talks about appreciation being kind of the, the, the key factor in an organization that kind of can make or break things. But thinking through that people don't all receive appreciation in the same way. It went on to talk about companies that spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on trinkets or recognition to say the, Hey, I appreciate you with this mug. So when in reality, only like 9% of the staffs, typically that's their language of appreciation. And so that that's interesting that you talk about that because that connects with what I just recently read about that. Even as far as if you're a words of affirmation person asking, you know, would you prefer it be um, verbally or would you prefer it be written? Would you, if it's verbal, would you prefer it to be, I give you that verbal recognition or, or notes of appreciation, just you and I in a small group or in front of the whole staff. So, so really thinking through how to individualize things. Um, I love that you shared that and how that connects with what I've recently yes, been reading. 100%. All you have to do is ask. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I think uh, we feel like we've communicated, but maybe we haven't communicated in that the way that that person receives right. communication. And so they don't feel like we've exactly. communicated with them. So what a novel idea. Ask them. <laughs> we hadn't, I hadn't considered that. Um, so our next question for you is we noticed that you have an engagement assessment on your website. When a leader is trying to determine the level of engagement of their staff, what should they be looking for? Well, um, before the survey, if you will, um, on average, you've got 34% of your staff that is not engaged on average. So when you think about what that impact means, it's so great. I mean, it's just huge amounts. So when you see things like you have a meeting and you ask questions and no one responds. Or you're in a situation where you ask for feedback and you get one or two people. We recently um, conducted an engagement survey with an organization before we did a program. And every single person that conducted the survey made comments. They weren't great comments was huge. That never happens. The comments usually don't come till halfway through or at the end. So the level of disengagement can be on multiple ways. If you, here, here's an example. If you don't have core values or if you don't have a mission statement or if you don't have an agenda for a person's first day of employment, you have one it's just not written down. Right. So someone is, is taking the initiative to um, promote what the culture is. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Because it could be your person that's flying under the radar that's causing all of the, the pot and the kettle and um, the drama seeker. Right. So you have to be able to determine your level of engagement within the organization whether it be through a survey, 
whether it be through having that honest and transparent conversation one-to-one -one or in smaller groups. You have to be able to define that in some way. And then it makes it easier to have that conversation when things go awry, because if you're not very clear um, in what you stand for, other people are going to decide within the organization. Um, it just may not be in alignment with what you had in mind. That's right. <laughs> so one of the things we've been focusing on um, in this podcast season is women empowering other women. As a member of the National Association of Women Business Owners, we know that this is something you feel passionate about as well. What is the power in such an, an organization and how can women who are not business owners network, support, and empower? Well, I definitely women? think that um, the National Association of Women Business Owners was a turning point for me in my business because it's really hard to be a part of something with a larger group um, of men and women when you feel like you can't have those transparent conversations. So I think the greatest turning point for me with the National Association of Women Business Owners is that I was finally on what I would consider, and I'm air quoting here, the same level <laughs> with um, other people that knew exactly the struggles that I've had. Not from the industry of the business that I'm running, just the industry of a, being a woman running a business. Mm -hmm. So being able to have those transparent conversations in a non-catty, judgmental, um, discriminatory way, that was groundbreaking for me. And well, that whole piece, that whole piece of connecting with it's like, yeah. oh, these are my people, uh, you know, <clears throat> having that connection, it, it's, it, it automatically makes you feel like, okay, one, I'm not the only one. And two, right. these are my people. <laughs> There's a Absolutely. sense of empowerment. And yes. we were able to come together. And in that group, you can define. <clears throat> so the way that it's broken out in, in Navo is um, you can connect on a smaller group level with people that have been in business for the same amount of time as you have. And then you can also be a guest of other groups and other um, smaller groups with women that have been in business longer than you, almost like a mentorship. And then also providing mm -hmm. your expertise with women that are just starting out. But again, I think it boils down to the ability to be able to really be transparent and vulnerable um, and not feel judgmented, judgmental and uh, catty. As far as what other women could do um, that are not in business and network support, I would definitely, you have to surround yourself with a diverse group of people, not such a diverse group of people that you're going to have those that are always going to agree, are always going to disagree. But it's just like um, a good example that I can give would be when the iPhone came out and the health app that came with it. So all of the things about the steps that you're walking, your heart rate, how you sleep, all of that in the, in the health app on the iPhone. You know what was missing? Mm I'm not overly familiar with the health app because I don't utilize it. <laughs> well, most, most, there are some people that don't, but um, the, the, your cycle, 
Oh, oh, you're so right. that that took almost a year before that came out before it was even something that was updated. You want to know why? Because yeah, because of man designed. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that you mentioned the cycle, Molly, because the other day I was listening to a podcast and I think it was with I think her name was Catherine Northrup um, and she's written something around uh, the different ways that that um, the differences in men and women and that how to kind of reprogram the way or for our productivity. And she kind of broke it down. I didn't finish the podcast, so I can't go too in depth with it, but it was kind of like we all try to operate on a 24 hour cycle. And that's the way that men are programmed to operate to where women, when you think about your productivity, that it should kind of almost be based around your, your, your 28 day cycle. And she goes on to talk about just the differences each week of those 28 days, kind of how your brain is functioning and how your hormones impact. Um, for example, she's you know, a good example was the the week that you're actually, you know, kind of on your period, that's probably, or I think it was the PMS week. That's probably not the week to maybe um, be giving feedback to people because you could be a little grouchier. So I thought that was a really interesting concept. But to your point, so many things that that we are trying to strive to do were kind of created either by a man or through the lens of the way yes. men operate. I would say that's probably also true with like racial equity. A lot of the things that are developed have been yep. developed by white people. Yes. So um, that's why these systems yeah. and structures are. In place. So make a, make a list of who Absolutely. you want in your circle. Um, you could there's tons of websites that you can go to go to how to build my circle. Um, make your list and seek people out, conduct interviews. This is why I'm having this conversation with you. This is why I appreciate you. Um, I enjoy X, Y, Z about you. I want you to be part of my circle for accountability. I love that I idea. Do. Um, well, and I, I love just how you mentioned the, the different levels of the organization you're a part of, because I think a lot of times, uh, you know, th there's power in, in surrounding ourselves with people who are in, the, in a similar situation because we're kind of growing at the same togetherness. But I think there's also power, of course, when you're talking with someone who has more experience or has been at, at the game longer as that mentor. And then I think sometimes, and here's what I've learned in, in doing, um, you know, this is, I'm going into year 25 of education with me, is that I think there's also power sometimes when you surround yourself with people who or in a, in, a, in a less experienced place than you are because when you're meant here's what I found and you've probably found the same thing Molly is that when I'm starting to mentor like newer principals not only does it kind of rejuvenate some some passion for me but it also requires me to think more deeply because things that I do on the daily of, are just kind of my everyday are brand new and so when they're like so how did you get this started it's like, hmm, let me think about that. And so I think that having uh, within your circle, I think it's a good idea to have that varied level Absolutely. of experience as well. And when you're able to go back and share your why, that drives your passion back up. So you can be having the worst day, but then you have a conversation with someone that's just starting out and you tell them why you started doing whatever it is that you're doing, why you feel like you're successful. That brings that back in you, that fire. 
You know, it really does. Our um, our superintendent, Dr. Polio, this year, he started our school year off uh, with a kickoff for the whole district um, every employee in the district. And so he shared his why. And you're so right. I probably, I don't think there was probably a dry eye of anyone watching his presentation because particularly trying to do education in, during a pandemic, you know, we've all had a, a different amount of stressors and, and um, unfavorable conditions and re rewiring of things that we've had to do. So having someone, the leader of our organization share his why, we definitely re-energized everyone. And I'm sure, sure we energized yeah. him as well. So oftentimes new leaders are hired to turn around a toxic culture. And this can become really overwhelming because there are so many variables, making it really difficult to prioritize where they should begin. Now, obviously, every situation has its own unique needs as it relates to a toxic culture. However, if there was one generalization or a place to start or an area of focus that you could recommend, what would it be? For new leaders that are coming in to turn around a toxic culture, they have to define why the culture is toxic today. So if you know what the problems are, then you can help to start and navigate that turn. If you go in with a new objective overall and how everything is going to turn around, that's not going to work. There are problems that create the toxic culture, that define it, that have sifted to the top. The courage is what it's going to take to find out what those things are. And it can only be two or three things. But those two or three things could be huge and truly the only thing that's making the toxic culture. So being able, I'm sorry. So being able to understand no, what those things are first, not coming in with your own agenda is what's going to make the prioritizing of where to begin effective and successful. Would, now, obviously, you know, we always talk about the first year is kind of a <clears throat> just sit back and observe. But would you recommend, you know, interviewing your entire staff, asking, asking about are there key questions that you think principals should ask? Or how would you recommend go about going about determining those? I would recommend interviewing three to five people, depending upon how big your staff is at the different incremental levels of tenure. But make sure that there's also a diverse group of people within the different categories of your organization. For example, if, if we're talking about, um, if we're talking about an organization that has a hundred people, let's say, and there's five different groups within that 100 people, you want to make sure that your diverse group of three to five people are coming from those five different groups in the different tenure spans that they have. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And so what kinds of things might you ask someone to try to, to get to the root of the topic? Always start with why they accepted the job. If it was a year ago or 25 years ago, why did they originally accept this job? What was it? Why are they still here? And then lastly, what's the biggest thing that you would change? If someone were to come in tomorrow and offer you either more money, more time off, 
more benefits, whatever it is that you're in your phase of life for, because to some people, more money doesn't make any sense. Some people, more vacation doesn't make sense, right? So if it's something more of what you want right now in your life, why would you leave? And I would assume that there would have to be a certain level of rapport building before you even ask these questions, because if somebody doesn't trust you, they're most likely not going to really fully share um, their experience. Would you absolutely would you say that and that's true? Starting no? that conversation, expressing your vulnerability is the only way that that's going to be successful. But truly, most leaders that are hired to come in and turn in, turn around a toxic culture, they all start that way. Yeah, I think um, that's such great advice. I think that what we see so often, the biggest mistake that new leaders make, and, and I've, I've tried to process it myself and put my finger on it, but you've nailed it, which is they come in with their own agenda. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, particularly in the world of education, but it's probably true across all organizations, yep. that whole productivity piece, <laughs> turning around productivity, whether it's, um, you know, financial sales, whether it's test scores, um, you know, regardless of what your productivity looks like, I think that most people are hired to come in with um, the expectation from the higher ups that that's what you're going to do. Um, and sometimes I, well, would you agree with this? Because sometimes I wonder that while, while that's important, um, that people in higher positions don't always understand. Um, they, they make that the, the urgent to where, although that's important, the urgent is right. really well, the culture piece. Back to your dare to lead with Brene Brown. You know, she, when she first started out, she had all of these companies come in and want her to come in and talk about um, uh, how this and how that and how to create this and how to do this and, you know, just to jazz them up. So she said, okay, well, these are the top five things that I'm going to talk about. <clears throat> and we're going to get real honest and transparent. Well, can you just take that part out? <laughs> and she was like, no. <laughs> That's a whole part of this, you know, thing to become successful and the daring to lead. You know, a lot of leaders don't like the touchy-feely stuff. And, you know, one of the things that, that I pride myself on and why I started in Scipio was um, world peace. And and I'm not talking about the beauty pageant world peace, uh, although that'd be great, right? But, um, your world. The job that we have at 40 plus hours a week, if it is exhausting, if it is draining, if it is not motivating, if it's in a toxic culture, what kind of a person are we going to be to come home, to be with our family, to be with our friends? What type of a community leader and philanthropist are we going to be? I'm going to tell you, we're going to suck at it. Because if you spend all of your energy trying to do better in your 40, 50, 60 hour work week, you have nothing left to give. But if you're in a job, if you're in a career, if you're promoting a situation in your role that is empowering, you're just going to be a better person. So your world, your individual world peace is right there. 
you're preaching to the choir to the two of us that's for sure we uh we talk so much about you know, you, you've t- it's so funny because you're you're actually our first guest who's not necessarily in the educational realm, um, but you've provided so many great takeaways, yes. and at the same time, have have kind of unintentionally or intentionally, subconsciously, we didn't talk about this beforehand, hit on so many things that we've talked about in previous episodes with the vulnerability, with ensuring that culture comes first, um, with being transparent and effective communication. So I'm so thankful to hear that because it's true that it kind of spans across organizations. Those are the the critical pieces of leadership across organizations. One of the things that I I would like to share that we kind of talked about, but I want to talk about that vulnerability piece. And every single year, the way that Incipio is set up is everyone is a 1099. Um, we, when we send proposals out to clients, we propose the work that we win to the people that we think would be the best team for that organization. You can accept it or decline it. Now, in addition to that, we talk about at the end of every single year, are you happy? Do you feel like you're still able to do everything that it is that you want to do? Do you feel like your world is still intact? And if it isn't, let's talk about that. If you're ready to move on to something else, let's talk about that too. And I hate it. I get butterflies every time because what if half of the people that are we're partnered with say they, they they're not fulfilled anymore? That's a that's a scary place to be. Um, I think anytime we open ourselves up to kind of that three sixty feedback, it's a scary place to be for what yes. for fear of what we we may hear. Um, but I think that not doing that stifles any kind of growth opportunity, not only for you as a leader, but as an organization as well. And it also takes out the, you you could be out of alignment, alignment with those partners. And if so, then your, your partnership going forward probably isn't going to work out. Right. If not now in the future. Um, So having those upfront conversations is nice, but it's interesting because um, that also aligns with some of our last episodes we've talked about, um, the things that I think as a society, we all feel like we should be doing. And so maybe we stay in positions or things that no longer fuel that fire for us or that passion, um, instead of doing what makes us passionate. Um, and, and I, I think that's a really important piece to right. make sure you're still in alignment with what you're currently and it's, doing. And that it's okay if you're not. Right. That, that, you know, it's almost, <clears throat> that is so empowering to either hear or empower others that, and that's all right, because I think that's the piece that often goes missing. But I think if you've ever been part of something that your gut is telling you, it's no longer a fit for me, for you. And then the very first person that affirms that and tells you it's yeah. okay, it's almost like this weight is lifted. Um, so to, to Laura's point that so many of us 
are how many we ask our listeners this, I think last week and probably the week before that are what things are you still currently doing that your gut tells you is no longer in alignment with you, but fear is stopping you from, from moving forward. And sometimes it is just that one other person to affirm that, you know, it's okay. It's okay that this is no longer for you. And how can I help you get to a better place for yourself? So Molly, our last question for you is actually uh, usually our last question in our interviews um, to kind of get to the meat of who, you know, it's our, our quick little, okay. it's our three second disc, if you will. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but the question is, what are three words that yeah. others who know you would um, use to three describe words? Wow. Um, yep. yes. <laughs> well, I always say if it's not fun, it's not worth having. So definitely fun, determined, and passionate. I definitely think all three of those words came across clearly yes. today. I mean, you've provided our listeners with so many, and Laura and myself too. You know, one of the great things about doing this podcast is that, you know, our mission is really to inspire other leaders, but we benefit because we learn along the way as well. So it's it's been awesome having you with thank us today. Thank you for inviting so thank me you in. For, for joining us today. Yes. And Molly, if people thank want to you reach for out that. to you, how can they Molly Ricketts, the full name, and it's Molly, M O L L. E-Y, thanks mom, at, at Incipio, <laughs> I-N-C-I-P-I-O, works, W-O-R-K-S, dot com. And we'll link that and, uh, just, just a fun fact for out. you. My dad actually attended Kenwood Elementary School when he was a little guy. Oh, <laughs> I love that. You know, the funniest thing, you'd be surprised with how many people we encounter that have a connection to Kenwood. That's so we always that. say all great things come through Kenwood. So, <laughs> so I love that. It's like that. It's like that. What, full that, circle. Yeah, that full circle. You're welcome. Thing. So that is a fun fact. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> so there have been lots of great takeaways um, from today's episode, but some of the, the things that we have taken away, Jill and I, are have you established core values for your organization? Are those core values known to everyone? Are you varying your communication techniques to reach all staff members and, and truly asking people, how do you want to be communicated with? Because just because you've assumed that you've communicated doesn't necessarily mean that person and, has and sometimes, you know, I, I tell the, all of the partners, I surround my, myself with people that are rock stars at everything that I suck at. I am very aware of what I'm not good at, but I'm very aware of the people that I'm drawn to because they're great at something that I'm not. And that's a real key factor. We've not touched too much on previous yes. episodes, but that could be a whole episode in of itself uh, because that's, you know, I, I do the same thing, Molly, because I remember the first five years I was a principal, we didn't have assistant principals. And then year six, we got assistant principals. And I remember kind of thinking people like, you know, what are you looking for? And I was like, I'm looking for someone who's kind of the opposite of me. I said, I don't need to hire another me. So really trying. So our assistant principal, we're kind of yin and yang. And then, you know, our whole admin team, there, there are those, you know, obviously we have some commonalities that align with the vision and where we're going with it. But as far as our skill set, 
it's quite diverse. And so I think that's that I think that's a, a mark that oftentimes teams miss is they think it's important to uh, they think alignment means everybody is exactly the same. And, and we, organizations no. don't need 10 people they that won't. are exactly the same. And to your question of do does everyone understand and know the core values of Incipio? And I definitely think that that world peace is the top one of our core values. And I think it tells a great story, which helps um, because you get people's attention because they automatically think of the whole beauty pageant thing, right? Um, and so then you get the laugh, which is always <laughs> great. And you, laughter definitely connects people faster than any other form of communication. So you have that. And then the second core value would definitely be the opportunity to be transparent and why that's important. Absolutely. So some of the other takeaways that we've had from this episode are just um, surrounding yourself with a diverse group of people to empower your own leadership and growth. That was such a powerful thing for me to hear. Absolutely. Um, and going forward. And then making a list of people that you want in your circle. And I love that idea of kind of even interviewing people. So are you a fit for right. my circle? <laughs> this is what I'm looking for. Um, because it is, it, it is important to network, um, but also to make sure that you have well, um, set, people that are going to help your you personal standards for what your goals are and why. Right? Because this could be your circle for six months. Or it could be your circle for three years. What objective is it that you're trying to come overcome as an right. individual where you see these people adding value? That is, that is a great takeaway. I think not only in our professional life, but our personal lives as well. And I, you know, it, it kind of sounds like a little crazy to think you're, yeah. so you're saying I should be interviewing people who are going to be my friends. Not, I mean, not in so many words, like, Okay, tell me about your experience. But in the sense of if we are going to grow both personally and professionally, we do have to, you know, we do have to be mindful of the people that we surround ourselves with. We've talked on several episodes about if your circle is, is full of negativity, it's going to bring you down. And so sometimes you just have to cut that. So I'd never thought about it through the lens of almost interviewing quote air quotes there um, the people that that are in your circle but that's Good. such a powerful one of the things for me think of, you, you don't need any more friends well, thank right you. well I don't I love all of my friends and <laughs> exactly that are in my circle but I don't need that <laughs> I need truth and transparency to help me grow as an individual and how I can contribute better not only as a business leader but as a diverse woman business owner Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Molly, for being with us today. We've, we've really appreciated everything that you've thank provided. Thank you so much for having me and inviting and me to our in. listeners. For sure. And we want to thank our listeners for being with us today. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, The It Factor, Tips for Recruiting and Retaining High Quality Staff, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. And if this is your first episode and if, or you've not listened to the entire first or second season, we'd love to know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts to get automatic episode updates for Be the Leader You Deserve. And don't forget to like us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter page to give you more frequent updates, quotes, and inspirations to carry you throughout the week. Laura and I also post on our personal Twitter accounts, so be sure to follow those as well. 
And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on Apple Podcast. They really help us out when it comes to the ranking of the show and we make a point to read every single one of them. We want to thank Molly for being with us and we'll link her contact information in the show notes. Uh, we want everyone to have a great week and don't forget to ask yourself, am I the leader I deserve and what am I doing about it?